This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health, a new fully integrated biopharmaceutical solutions organization that's the result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health. Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit cineoshealth.com podcast. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is July 11th, and this is the Wednesday healthcare edition of the show. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and I'm joined by healthcare specialist Todd Campbell via Skype as usual. Todd, what's going on? Hi, Christine. How are you? Pretty good. We had a fire drill at HQ this morning, so that was very exciting. That's always uh, very, very exciting, not necessarily in a good way. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it was limited to just a trash can, right? There was actually no fire at all. It was just a drill, so that's great news. <laughs> no, that's excellent news, except for you had to go back to work. Yeah, well, I mean, I had to finish up my notes for the podcast, so fortunately, I was able to get them done, and here we are. So, <laughs> let's get started. A couple weeks ago, Amazon announced an acquisition of PillPack, which is a private company that ships prescription drugs to customers. It's pretty cool. They're already pre-sorted into daily packages. They have very clear labels on them. They come out of a container, kind of like how you would pull a, a ticket at a deli, um, but instead of getting a number, you actually get your day's pills. So, pretty neat. The deal was for an undisclosed sum, but it's reportedly around $1 billion, and pharmacy stocks were instantly crushed. They lost about $10 billion in combined market cap. What's going on here? They got walloped. <laughs> you know, they, they lost all that market cap for what's reported to have been a, a $1 billion deal for a company that, you know, last year, the estimate is that they did about $100 million in sales. So, I mean, obviously, people are, are extrapolating this out to be a, a much bigger um, Potential deal than than you know what those numbers might suggest, and I think that Christine will be helpful for the listeners as we you know to, are chatting about this deal is to keep two things in mind uh, as part of way of framing the conversation, if you will. First, that every year in the U.S. there are about four hundred and fifty thousand preventable medication-related adverse events that occur, and two or second, about fifty percent of Americans fail to take their medicine as their doctor prescribes. So just keep those things, listeners, in the back of your mind as we're having this conversation. You may understand why um, Amazon's so interested in PillPack and, and the potential opportunity here. Yeah, and we know that Amazon has been trying to get into the healthcare space for a while. This is something that Jeff Bezos has been thinking about for years, really. Um, when you think all the way back to 1999, Amazon purchased a stake in Drugstore.com, and that ultimately failed. Walgreens ended up buying this company, which was not a money-making company. In 2011, uh, it ultimately was shut down. But there has been a history of interest from Amazon in this space. We recently have been getting more news about the conglomerate that they're forming with J.P. Morgan and Berkshire Hathaway, um, combined with Amazon to try to reinvent the the health insurance space. And that's something that a lot of people have their eyes on, because Amazon has this history of disruption. I saw this amazing quote from an analyst with, uh, what was it, uh, Tesla Advisory. Uh, his name is Joseph Feldman. He says, when Amazon sneezes, everybody else catches a cold. And this is something that's going to be true in healthcare, just like it was true for, say, the grocery stores, which all got wrecked when Amazon bought Whole Foods. We saw 
all that here as well, because it is an established phenomenon that when Amazon wants to, to play in a certain game, they're going to be highly disruptive. Yeah, reports have been swirling for you know about a year at least, right, Christine, that they might be interested in somehow getting uh, more involved in the pharmacy marketplace. The, you know, I think last year we talked a little bit about um, the potential for them to create their own pharmacy benefit manager for their employees. Uh, there were rumors that perhaps it might go out and try and do an acquisition or somehow get into the retail pharmacy marketplace and that they had um, acquired licenses to sell medications in, in a few different states. And then, of course, you had that uh, announcement earlier this year that they're forming the nonprofit with J.P. Morgan and Berkshire Hathaway, and you've had some discussions um, about you know them kicking the tires to supply medical uh, devices, equipment, and um, and other things to hospitals and, and labs. So they're they're absolutely interested in this market, and you can't blame them, Christine, especially in the pharmaceuticals because it's a it's a huge market. I mean, I think that in 2016, about 329 billion was spent on prescription drugs in the United States. Last year, that increased to about $338 billion. And this year, that's supposed to increase to about $360 billion. And we can all imagine that as we get uh, a much larger, older po patient population, um, that the, the use of, of pharmaceutical um, and different various medications is going to climb. Uh, the majority of people who have multiple prescriptions um, you know, it, it are, are older people, right? So I think that there's a tremendous opportunity for Amazon to come out to, to leverage, I guess, PillPack. And uh, I mean, PillPack's, you know, honestly, Christine, I wasn't familiar with PillPack until this news broke. And I'm sure millions of other people weren't either. It was probably like the best thing of boom for their business. I would be surprised if their revenue uh, soared in the first uh, few days after, after the announcement of this deal, because it's really quite a fascinating business model. Yeah, I agree. I hadn't heard of it either. Although now that I'm reading up on it, apparently there were some rumors for a while about a, a very large company buying them, whether that was going to be Walmart or Amazon. But when you're reading the numbers about how big this prescription pharmacy space is, it really does make me want to draw the comparison to the reported revenue of only $100 million for PillPack. So, yes, they could definitely see a sizable jump in that just from all the publicity now, but they're still kind of tiny. I mean, they're focusing on chronic disease patients who are taking multiple pills per day, people that are opting to fill every 30 days because that's the PillPack model, as opposed to many people would prefer the 90-day fill uh, fill scheduled, because that's often cheaper. So, that's something that people might still turn to traditional channels for. And so, ultimately, when I'm looking at whether this is a huge threat to companies like CVS, I'm not sure if the market reaction was really warranted. I mean, PillPack still works with the big PBMs. It's not really trying to disrupt them. And there's still plenty of reasons why traditional retail pharmacies will succeed. Um, I think it's, it's such a huge space, and there is a need for something like PillPack, but I don't see it ever eliminating the need to go fill a prescription at, say, a CVS, especially considering that these retailers are not resting on their laurels. For example, you have CVS trying to merge with Aetna, and that right there, that's such an opportunity to, say, offer a discount if an Aetna-insured patient fulfills their prescription at a CVS store. So, there are plenty of ways that these large retail pharmacies will be able to fight back. Yeah, and CVS is also experimenting with same-day delivery in some markets. They're doing one- to two-day delivery. 
Um, in other markets, they're allowing you to bundle together uh, items that they sell in the front of the store in those deliveries. Um, and all of that, I think, is, is kind of them um, laying the groundwork to be able to compete more effectively against what could happen with Amazon down the road. I mean, theoretically, Amazon could leverage its Whole Foods marketplaces as a, as a place where people could go to pick up their uh, pill packs. Um, they could also leverage you know, the supply uh, supply chain geniuses, right? So, I mean, they, they could leverage their experience um, in automation and, and delivery to, you know, really, really challenge over time some of these things. But you made a very good point, and that's that, you know, you could triple, quadruple sales, and you're not even denting um, the, the, the sales of these major pharmaceutical companies. I mean, if you look at the, uh, sorry, major pharmacy companies, if you look at Walgreens and Express Scripts and CVS and Rite Aid, I mean, they, they control about 50% of all of that prescription drug spending. So, I mean, they, these, these companies are racking up uh, hundreds of billions of dollars a year collectively, uh, dollars a year collectively. So I don't think that, you know, it's going to be a situation where PillPack puts these companies out of business anytime soon. But I think what's interesting is that, you know, PillPack's already had pretty, I mean, uh, amazing success given how young it is. The company started in 2014. We're already a 100 million run rate. I imagine you could go much, much higher, especially if you do something fun like tie it together with Prime and, and do some fun uh, things that way. You know, I think that one of the things that investors should go back to what I started the conversation with is, you know, think about the way that we fulfill or fill prescriptions today versus maybe the way we, you know, Amazon delivers goods. And if you look at the way we do it today in a pharmacy, it's kind of antiquity. You know, it's not it's not very modern day, right? Um, PillPack, being a relatively new company, they've designed their system to be very automated. You know, for instance, they use robots to do the pill picking that they're going to use to put together all the drugs to put into these individual pill packs that they're going to send you, right? They synchronize all of your prescription drugs. Now, if you take five prescription drugs a day and all of those are getting renewals at various times throughout a course of a month, that can be very confusing for patients. So synchronizing them, getting them on the same schedule is a big deal. I also know, Christine, from my own you know, time in taking medication, if I don't take it in the morning, I oftentimes wonder if I actually took it that day. And this, you know, that's obviously becomes a much bigger problem if you've got lots and lots of different medications you're taking every day. So I think that there's advantages here in automating the whole process of, of fulfilling medications, but also in simplifying um, patient experience and their adhere improving their adherence to the medication. And I think that that's where Amazon might be able to really make a big dent in these traditional pharmacies over time. Which overall is great news for the healthcare space. I mean, upping patient compliance and convenience, that's a great thing. We'll be right back after a quick message from our sponsor. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health. Bringing a new drug to market is getting tougher and tougher. At Cineos Health, they're changing the game. As a result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, they have created a unique business model that allows clinical and commercial disciplines to work together, eliminating traditional process obstacles and delivering something they call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Helping their customers accelerate the delivery of important therapies to patients, Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit CineosHealth.com slash podcast. 
And we're back. Biogen, ticker BIIB, reported encouraging data from an Alzheimer's drug last week. Alzheimer's is a disease that has been a real beast for drug makers to attempt to treat, but hopes are really high that Biogen can succeed where many, many others have failed. The stock jumped 20% last Friday, which is huge for a $70 billion company. Todd, what did you make of the news? I know we almost gained like $20 billion in market cap in a single day, which is just remarkable. But I mean, there's there's a reason for that, right? Because 99% of clinical stage drugs in Alzheimer's have failed. So any signal that maybe you've got one that might work out for such a, a large patient uh, addressable patient market, I mean, that's, that's potentially a mega blockbuster drug in the making. Now, you know, there's caveats, and I'm sure we're going to get to that in, in a few minutes as we're having this discussion, Christine. Um, but I think it is an, in, an intriguing data point uh, that maybe investors, you know, as we get further in, we'll talk more about it. Investors might want to just temper a little bit of their enthusiasm. Yeah, speaking of data points, we don't have the full data set yet. Uh, they reported the conclusion of, of all this data, I guess, uh, like kind of a teaser, and they said that we will release the entire data set later. Uh, what we do know is that this was a phase two trial. There were 856 patients that had early Alzheimer's, and we had previously been told that the study failed at the 12 month mark. But now, this is six months after that initial uh, 12 mark point, so we're at 18 months, and they reported that in the one patient group out of five total patient groups that was receiving the highest dose of this drug, which is called BAN2401, that the progression of Alzheimer's had been slowed and there was a reduced accumulation of amyloid in the brain. And Todd, I'm going to kick it to you because I think you'll do a better job than I would explaining this, but why does that uh, matter? Okay, so we don't fully understand um, what causes dementia and Alzheimer's disease pa patients, but we do have a theory, right? And the theory is that you know you can have amyloid buildups um, on neurons that interfere with the cell signaling uh, to a degree that's that's significant enough to eventually cause those neurons to die. And initially, it starts off in memory, um, but over time, it progresses to things that are like behavioral and and thinking and the like. You know, Christine, when I was thinking of an analogy here that maybe we could throw out there, and one of the things I was thinking about: Have you ever been caught in a traffic jam that made you late for an appointment? Every single day. <laughs> I live in a city. Now, uh, um, Christine, imagine a traffic jam that's so bad that you get out, walk away, and just let the car go to rust. That's essentially what's happening here in Alzheimer's disease patients. You've got a traffic jam that's interfering with the cell signaling, and eventually we're just abandoning that neuron because the neuron's no longer effectively being able to send the signal to where it's supposed to be going. I knew you would do a good job of explaining that. Thank you. So the thing is, though, we're not really sure if that's what causes Alzheimer's. This is all based on the observation that people who suffer from the disease have accumulated this amyloid protein in their brains. But we're not quite sure if the two are related in a causal way. And we've previously seen drugs that target uh, amyloid and have been able to reduce the buildup in these plaques, but then didn't actually improve patients' cognition, which undermined the idea that the two have this relationship between the amyloid plaques and the actual disease itself. So here, that's why people are so excited, is because it did both. It, it lowered the amount of plaques, and it also improved cognition. Right. On a okay, so this drug is being <laughs> this drug is being developed 
um, in concert with another company, a Japanese drug biker called um, ASI, ASI Pharmaceuticals. And uh, ASI went out and created its own measurement for um, evaluating the efficacy of this drug. Uh, they combined together a few different rating scales and systems to create their own thing called ADCOMS. So what we're talking about when we say that you know, the highest dose hit the mark of statistical significance, it met it on this newly created uh, endpoint that um, ASI, has, has, ASI has, has developed. So I'd be very interested to see how that broke out on maybe some of the older uh, rating scales. Of course, we won't we won't find that out. <laughs> right. There, there are still all these question marks. Like We don't know how many people were in that group. And we also don't know if the FDA thinks that this ADCOM score is a valid source of data. That's a huge question mark here. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, not to not to downplay too much. Obviously, there's a significant need for Alzheimer's disease medications. And even if you can delay progression, for six months, 12 months, eight, whatever, any amount of time would be a, a meaningful, meaningful improvement uh, for patients and patient lives. I mean, the care, the burden on caregivers alone is tremendous. The spending on, um, on, on care for these patients is tremendous. I saw one study that said that, you know, on average, Medicare pays about $24,000 a year for a patient with Alzheimer's. Now, for comparison, patients without Alzheimer's, it spends about $7,400 a year on. So, you know, there's there's an important need to develop therapies, not only because it's going to, you know, obviously improve people's quality of life, but also um, it could save the overall, um, I, I guess, market a lot of money. Yes, this is definitely a big deal because of what it represents, which is that Biogen could be one step closer to getting a, a effective Alzheimer's treatment to market. Interestingly, this is not the, their major Alzheimer's drug. This is a, kind of a, a side drug. I don't know. The one that people really focus on is called aducanumab. And this is their drug that is in phase three. It is the most valuable drug candidate in their pipeline. This is the one that everybody is watching. And so the, the data that came out about uh, BAN2401 is promising because it works in a similar but not identical way to aducanumab. But really, when you compare the peak annual sales and the, just the potential to actually get to the market, because aducanumab is in a later stage than uh, BAN2401, that's the reason that the stock jumped. Yeah. You know, the other thing, too, is this is in minimum people with minimum to moderate cognitive um, deterioration. So, I mean, this, this, the, theoretically, I would assume that you know, if if you were able to deliver this in a, in severely people with severe dementia, then wow, right? But I would imagine that there could be some more room for or volatility in results as you enroll thousands and thousands of patients into what will be a phase three trial for this drug. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see because, you know, we've talked about this in the show. We've got great articles on fool.com talking about it. So many phase three medications for Alzheimer's disease have, have failed. Um, you know, we, this year alone, we saw Merck shutter development of their base inhibitor. We saw uh, Johnson Johnson shuttle development of their base inhibitor. Lilly and AstraZeneca stopped developing uh, one of their late stage Alzheimer's disease compounds. 
Um, so, you know, even if you have, a, a, I guess, a victory in, in phase two and hundreds of patients, very hard to extrapolate that out into a win in phase three. So then putting it all together, what does this mean for Biogen? Do you think that this news makes their stock more or less of a buy? The, after the move, I have I have a hard time arguing that you go out and you buy it up here at these levels. I mean, that was a significant rally. Um, if they have a winner, yeah, gonna gonna be gangbusters. But there is a there are a lot of question marks here, and I don't think that you know I don't want to lay out odds on a phase three success or failure for this drug, but the odds are stacked against a success until proven otherwise. Yep, absolutely. And when you look at the broader company, this is a company that is struggling in various areas. There's stiff competition coming their way in multiple sclerosis, which is the core of their business. Uh, they've had a lot of recent growth from a drug that we've talked about on the show called Spinraza. We actually just talked about them a few weeks ago when we were discussing PTC Therapeutics and their drug that could potentially compete with Spinraza. There's also a gene therapy on the way, which would probably completely eat Spinraza's lunch if it hits the market. So for me, looking at Biogen, I think so much of their market cap is tied up into really high hopes for their Alzheimer's disease pipeline. And as you just said, Todd, I don't want to even try to put numbers behind those odds, but I know that they're not high. They're definitely fighting an uphill battle here, just statistically looking at the failure rates over all of time. Right, and to be clear, listeners, we're not we're not rooting against Biogen. We want this them to succeed. You know, there's there's been a big push, Bill Gates and others coming out and saying, hey, listen, we need more innovative new approaches to tackling this disease. And you know, maybe this is one of them, right? Maybe this eventually will become one drug that advances us towards a multi-drug combination therapy that really really improves patient lives. But uh, that kind of still remains to be seen. Yeah, huge opportunity here. And you're right, we will be rooting for them, absolutely. But as investors, we'll be rooting from the sidelines. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Dan Boyd. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! These days, bringing a new drug to life is getting tougher and tougher. It can take billions of dollars and a decade or more to bring an experimental drug from molecule to market. And only one in five marketed drugs ever achieve revenues that match or exceed R&D costs. At Cineos Health, we're working to improve the odds. The result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, Cineos Health is the only company purpose-built to create what we call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Our unique business model allows the clinical and commercial disciplines to work together from the start, sharing critical data, insights, and knowledge. The Cineos Health approach creates success by eliminating traditional obstacles and smoothing the process at every step along the way, from clinical trials to FDA approval, branding and marketing to patient adherence. Every day, Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit SineosHealth.com slash podcast.